Welcome to Vetsplanation. I'm Tyler, or you can call me Shugs. I love being able to educate my pet parents on what's going on with their furry little loved one. But as an emergency veterinarian, I'm usually running around from critical case to critical case and don't always have the time to be able to tell you what I've learned in 25 years of experience in just those short two minutes. I'm hoping with this podcast, I'm going to be able to help you guys understand what your veterinarian is trying to tell you. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back. So last week we talked about dough toxicity, and this week we're going to talk about some of those things that actually go into the dough. We're going to talk about grape and raisin toxicity. Now, most people don't even know that grapes and raisins are toxic to dogs, and part of the reason why is because for a long time, people were feeding grapes and raisins to their dog and did not have a problem. The ASPCA Animal Poison Control actually had a large amount of people who had called in, and they'd ask about like grapes and raisins, whether they were toxic or not. And most of the time they'd say, no, it was fine. No toxicity there. And then they started realizing that some of these dogs who had been exposed to raisins and grapes were actually developing kidney failure in a couple days after that phone call. And so they started looking more into that to try to figure out like, what is the cause? Like, is it actually the raisins and grapes or is it something that's on the raisins and grapes? And for a long time, we had no idea what was causing those, that toxicity. We just knew that some dogs would develop a toxicity and other dogs would not. So they did studies to try to figure out, was it like pesticides that were put on these grapes or was there some sort of mycotoxin, basically a toxin that just grows on the grapes? Like, was there a toxin that was growing on the grapes that was causing it? And they found it's not any of those factors. Like it really has to do with the grape itself, even whether it was skinned grapes or not skinned grapes. Cause for a while they said, well, if you just take the skin off the grapes, then it might be okay. But they found it doesn't matter whether it's skinned or not skinned. We do have a problem. So what usually happens? Um, so this actually is a very common thing that most of the time, like people will feed the grapes and then don't realize that it's a problem until somebody else mentions later, Hey, you can't feed your dog grapes because it's toxic. So usually it's either that the dog got into bread that had grapes or raisins into it, or that the owner fed grapes or raisins, not knowing, or of course the toddler was eating grapes or raisins and then suddenly all the grapes and raisins are gone and the toddler says, I don't know where they went. And the dog is looking very suspicious. So, you know, there's tons of ways that they can be exposed to these things. And in general, the poison control typically says about one grape per 10 pounds is okay. So if you have, you know, a 70 pound Labrador, then seven grapes, you're probably okay. But most of the time it's these little dogs that get into it, you know, these little under 10 pound dogs. And so even just one grape or raisin could potentially be toxic to them. So how does that toxicity work? So what they believe is the toxin is called tartaric acid, which is actually like what cream of tartar is made out of. But they believe at this point that that's what the actual toxin is. Like I said, for a long time, we have no idea what the toxin was. We just knew that they were toxic. Now they've kind of figured out that this tartaric acid is in raisins and grapes, but we don't know how much is in it, which is kind of one of the big problems to try to figure out like how much is truly toxic for a dog, because it really depends on like, where's that grape grown? What type of it, what type of grape it is? Um, how ripe was that grape? And even whether it's a homegrown grape versus if it's a store-bought grape. 
Unfortunately, I've seen a Great Dane that's only eaten a couple of grapes that went into kidney failure versus I've seen Chihuahuas who have eaten a large amount of grapes and they had no effect at all. So we just really don't know who's going to be affected by this because we really don't know how much of that toxin is in that particular grape that they had eaten. So what does this toxin do? So the toxin goes and it binds to the kidneys. It affects the kidneys and it causes them to go into kidney failure. So there's a couple of things that can happen. If it's not a lot of tartaric acid, then sometimes it's just really minor signs that you might see. So it might be that they have a little bit of nausea within the first 24 hours, but this could develop into full kidney failure where they start to um, drink a lot of water, they're vomiting, they're peeing a lot. And when it gets really bad, then they stop urinating or they're urinating very little at first and then completely stop urinating. If they get to that point, that is a very bad prognosis. But most of the time we see them in the just vomiting stage and then sometimes into the actual kidney failure stage. So if you see that your pet has eaten a grape or a raisin or multiple of them and you've kind of calculated out one per 10 pounds, then the best thing to do is to get them to vomit right away. We want to try to get as much out of their system as possible. Ideally, if you know how many grapes they had eaten, fantastic. That's even better because we know if we've made them vomit, if they vomited up that many grapes, then we should be golden. But let's say it's in bread. You know, we bake with raisins all the time. Maybe the dog had gotten into baked raisin bread and now we need to make them vomit, but we don't know how much raisin bread they had gotten into. We have no idea how many raisins they had gotten into. And the majority of the time we cannot make them vomit everything that's in their stomach. As a general rule, we just kind of say about 75% of what's in their stomach is what can be vomited out. As soon as it hits the small intestines, we cannot make them vomit that. None of that's going to come back out. It's only going to be what's actually in the stomach that you can vomit up. So if it goes from the stomach into the small intestines, it's gone. We already have to assume that they've gotten those raisins, which makes this hard, especially like you know, in the situation where the toddler leaves out the raisins or the grapes and the dog comes along, we have no idea. The toddler can't tell us how many grapes or raisins they left out. All we know is that there were grapes and raisins left out. And the other challenge to this is there's no test to be able to tell us that that the dog got into raisins or grapes. Like we have no toxin test for that to tell us. Really, we have to go off of that somebody saw that the dog had eaten the raisins or grapes or we have to go off of what we see on blood work. So what we might see on blood work is changes to those kidney values. So the two main kidney values we're looking at, one is called creatinine. That's kind of the very sensitive one for our kidney values. That can go up very quickly, you can go down very quickly, uh, but it's the more sensitive one. And then the other one that we're looking at is called the BUN, or blood urea nitrogen. We just call it the BUN for short. Sometimes you'll even hear people uh, just call it the BUN, but it's the BUN. And we use that to also be measuring what's going on with the kidneys. Other things that we're going to be looking for is to see if the phosphorus is going up or the calcium is going up. And lastly, the other thing we may see on blood work that is kind of concerning is on the urinalysis, when we get urine, it might look very dilute, meaning it looks more like water than it looks like 
that dark yellow. Like think about when you've drank just a ton of coffee and you go to the bathroom and your pee is just like dark, dark yellow because you're not hydrated enough. That's usually what it is, is they, when they've been vomiting, when they have a lot of diarrhea, they're not drinking, uh, then a lot of times that their urine should be really dark. So that means that it's very concentrated. But with kidney failure, their urine becomes very dilute. It looks like water, just pure water. It's so clear. And that's not good. Like that means that our kidneys have been affected. So what are we going to do if your dog had gotten into grapes or raisins? First of all, bring them in and we're going to make them vomit. So there's a couple ways to make them vomit. Some people give an injection. Some people use these eye drops to make them vomit. But either way, we want to make them vomit. If let's say you are in some remote area, you cannot get to a veterinarian. Um, you can give hydrogen peroxide, but I usually don't recommend doing that. It, it really doesn't work that often. And then also um, the other concern is that sometimes they'll aspirate on it. So they'll inhale it rather than actually like swallow it. And we don't want that in the lungs. And then I've also seen a couple of dogs who have had some some like burns from the hydrogen peroxide. So it's if you can get to a veterinarian, it is better for you just to go to the veterinarian to get them to vomit rather than just trying the hydrogen peroxide. But either way, very first step, make them vomit. So a lot of times when they come to our clinic, we bring them in immediately. We listen to them to make sure that they're okay before we make them vomit. Because if there's heart problems and stuff, we kind of have to weigh our pros and cons of making them vomit. But we make them vomit and hope that they have gotten as much out as possible. In general, if you've gotten to the vet within about three hours, we're usually able to make them vomit and get them to produce quite a bit. Even if it's been six or eight hours, we're still going to try to make them vomit because we want to try to get them to vomit up as much of it as possible. It may have already moved from the stomach into the small intestines, though. And like I said, when it gets into the small intestines, we can't make them vomit anything up from there. And that can even happen within 30 minutes of them ingesting it. If they have a really empty stomach and it moves quickly, that could happen within 30 minutes. And there's nothing for us to make them vomit because it's already moved. So after we've made them vomit, then the next step is usually talking to you guys about the options of hospitalizing them versus having blood work checked and rechecked. So like I said, this does affect the kidneys. And our concern is, is that we don't know how much of that toxin is in there. We don't know how many raisins and grapes most of the time that they've ingested. And if we think that there's been more raisins or grapes than what we had gotten them to vomit, the best situation is that we hospitalize them. When we hospitalize them, first of all, we're drawing blood work just for a baseline blood work. The kidney levels are not going to go up on that first day, like within that first couple of hours of ingesting their raisins and grapes, there's some of the toxin that might have gone to the kidneys, but it takes it takes quite a bit before those kidney values actually go up. And they're usually not going to go up until the, about 24 to 48 and sometimes 72 hours after ingestion of those grapes or raisins. So we get the initial blood work. So we just know where those kidney values are at right now. And then we're going to be able to compare those kidney values to that 24-hour mark and that 48-hour mark and sometimes that 72-hour mark. So we get blood work. Next, we want to hospitalize them and put them on IV fluids. The goal of that is that we're preventing those toxins from going to the kidneys and attaching to the kidneys. 
We want to try to flush them out as much as possible. And fluids are great for that because as we're flushing all of the blood with the IV fluids, that's going to the kidneys, which is going to help flush the kidneys as well and hopefully prevent those toxins from attaching to the kidneys. And we want to put them on IV fluids for usually about 48 hours. Uh, one other thing just with treatment stuff is some sometimes if you call poison control, they'll say yes to give them charcoal for this. Uh, but I do find that oftentimes they actually say, no, we don't need to use charcoal for this. There's a lot of side effects to charcoal, and sometimes those side effects we don't really want. But sometimes that'll be that their their sodium goes up and that can cause some neurological things. So we usually check their their electrolytes or checking their sodium after we've given the charcoal just to make sure that they're okay and we don't have to worry about that sodium going up so high. So like I said, some people will say to give charcoal, but I do find that most of the time they say not to give charcoal. So in general, I don't give charcoal to my patients. Not to say that it is not wrong to do that. You know, if you, if your veterinarian feels that that's the best thing for your pet, then yes, then absolutely they're going to give the charcoal for this. The biggest thing though is going to be putting the dog on IV fluids for usually about 48 hours. In that 48 hour time period, we're putting them on a high amount of IV fluids. So some people ask like, why can't I just have them drink a large amount of water? Or why can't I do sub Q fluids at home? Or why can't I syringe? the fluid into them, you just can't get enough into them. So that's one of the biggest problems is your stomach can only feel so large and you're going to, they're not going to absorb it as well when you're putting it just in their mouth. They're not going to drink as much as they normally would or need to, to be able to dilute all of that as well. And then when we give fluids under the skin, we kind of have the same problem. Yes, your dog is drinking. Yes, we're putting fluids under the skin called sub-Q fluids. But we still can't put enough in there. I can put a larger amount into the veins than I can underneath the skin. So we want to give them IV fluids. And really the sub-Q fluids and the water that they're drinking, it's just like a drop in the bucket. Versus I could fill that bucket by giving them the IV fluids. So we want to put them on that IV fluids for that 48 hours. In that time, we're rechecking the blood work usually every 24 hours. So like I said, we drew blood in the beginning because we need to know where those kidney bias are at. And then we repeat the blood work at 24 hours and at 48 hours. We're checking to see what is happening with those kidney bias. Do the kidney bias go up at 24 hours and do we need to increase our IV fluids that we're giving? Or do they stay the same or go down? Same thing with the 48 hour mark. If those kidney values go up at 48 hours, then we know that that dog has to stay there for longer because we need to give fluids for a longer period of time in order to hopefully avoid going into full kidney failure. So if at that 48 hour time period, everything looks great, then fantastic. You know, your dog gets to go home. And sometimes the toxicologist will recommend having them come back at 72 hours. So 24 hours after they've been off of IV fluids to recheck that blood work and just make sure the kidneys are fine after that. Because some, in very rare cases, but sometimes it will be that they look great for that 48 hour time period. And then we recheck their blood work at 72 hours and the kidney values have gone up because now we're not over hydrating them like we were before. So sometimes you'll hear us say, you know, it's better to come back at the 72 hours just to make sure that those kidney values are okay. So if everything goes well, like I said, they go home at 48 hours, 
Hopefully they come back at 72 hours to recheck the blood work. And after that, if everything has been fine, then usually we have a great prognosis. We're not going to have issues in the future with this. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Now, let's say those kidney values go up at 72 hours or at 48 hours. Then we're going to want to hospitalize them for a longer period of time until those kidney values either start to plateau or they go down to normal. It is possible to get them out of kidney failure by keeping them on fluids for longer as long as they don't get to the point to where they have decreased urine production or no urine production. No urine production is a terrible prognosis. There are some dogs who have survived from that, and there are some dogs that they have tried doing like hemodialysis with, but in general, it's not a good prognosis. So if they get to that point, like usually we're very honest and talk to you guys about this saying like, you know, this is not good. These are our options. And unfortunately, putting them to sleep is one of those options. But like I said, this is pretty rare that it actually gets to this point. Now, let's say hospitalization is just not something you can do. That's unfortunately that happens. The alternative, which some criticalists have started using, has been to not give fluids and just recheck the blood work each day. So they do the baseline the day that they come in that they've eaten the raisins or grapes and we've already made them vomit. Now we draw blood at 24 hours and at 48 hours and at 72 hours to recheck to make sure those kidney values are normal. Because like I said, some dogs are going to develop this and some dogs aren't. And we don't know who is going to develop this. The safest way to like just try to make sure that we don't go into kidney failure is going to be hospitalizing. But we know that not everybody can afford that, right? So the next best option is we recheck that blood work. And if it gets to the point to where those kidney values do start to go up, then we start worrying about we have to hospitalize them. And one little key for there is try not to feed them for like six hours beforehand because sometimes those kidney values will go up just a little bit just from feeding them. So try to fast them for that six hour time period before they're going to get that blood work drawn, just so you don't have um, any issues with the blood work being abnormal. But they'll recheck that blood work, make sure everything looks fine. And if at 72 hours, no issues, then great. They don't have to come back for any more blood work. But that doesn't mean that you should continue to feed them grapes and raisins because they're immune to it. Um, like I said, it's probably because of the fact that there's different levels of the toxin in whichever type of grape at whatever type of season, whenever it was picked. So it's not a good idea to just continue giving them grapes if they did okay that first time, nor is it a good idea to just let them be if they get into grapes and raisins again. We still want to make them vomit. We still want to do that blood work and ideally hospitalize them if possible. You know, preventing the kidney failure is going to be better than just checking to see if they potentially do go into kidney failure. 
So just to kind of go back over it again, best case scenario is your dog goes and eats some, some grapes off the floor. We don't know how many there are. You bring them into the vet hospital. We make them vomit and then draw blood. Make sure that those kidney values are normal to begin with, which they usually will be. Then we hospitalize the dog on IV fluids and recheck that blood work every 24 hours. So at 24 hours and 48 hours, which means the pet stays in the hospital for two days. Then we take them off the IV fluids because everything went well. There's no increases in kidney values. And then they come back at 72 hours. So 24 hours after they've been off of IV fluids and just make sure that those kidney values are still normal. If everything looks normal, great. We have no issues. Or if we are not able to hospitalize, then like I said, we still do the same thing. They still come in. We still make them vomit. That's called inducing emesis, by the way. Make them vomit. And then if we can't hospitalize, we check blood work every 24 hours. So the first day that they come in, 24 hours after, at 48 hours after, and at 72 hours after, just to make sure that that blood work is normal and that those Kidney values are not increasing. Like I said, if everything goes well, fantastic. You don't have to worry about doing any more blood work after that. It's the ones that are increasing that still becomes the problem. So if they start increasing, then that means they have to be hospitalized for longer or they're going to have to be hospitalized at that point. Now, remember, this is that we've known that your dog had gotten into grapes or into raisins. There are definitely situations where you come in and your dog's just drinking a lot of water, they're vomiting, they're peeing a lot, and we do blood work and we see that those kidney values are sky high. And this is going to be one of those things that we're going to ask you, like, is there any possible way that your dog could have gotten into grapes or raisins? Because this is one of those toxins that's going to cause that. So... We can't do anything at that point to make them vomit anything once they're showing those clinical signs. When they're showing those clinical signs, it's already gotten past the stomach, into their small intestines, into their bloodstream, into their kidneys. And at that point, the only thing that we can do is put them on IV fluids to try to help get them through this. You know, if we can flush those kidneys out enough to hopefully bring those kidney values back down to normal, that is the best case scenario. Versus if we try to put them on IV fluid, and their kidney values continue to increase and they get to the point to where they are not able to urinate, we're still going to do other medications to try to help them through this. We're going to try to give them medications to try to help their kidneys flush stuff out. We're going to put them on medication to try to help their stomach. Um, But when it gets to that point, like I said, that's, that's not a good sign. That's a pretty bad prognosis at that point. So really like the best way you can just try to avoid this is just by not having raisins and grapes in the house. You know, when my kids were little, definitely we didn't have any raisins or grapes in the house, or if we did, the dogs were away. And you notice I keep talking about dogs because in general, we find that it's been pretty much just dogs that we know for sure that get kidney failure from this. There have been like possible ones from cats Uh, We're just not a hundred percent sure. And the other one has been a ferret. Like there was a possible raisin or grape toxicity from a ferret. And and again, we just don't know, like, was it truly a raisin toxicity or grape toxicity? Or was it just that it happened to have a kidney problem and it just happened to have eaten the raisin and grape? It's hard to because usually cats don't really care about raisins and grapes. 
so we just don't know. But there's definitely been a lot of research into raisin and grape toxicities since we had found out that there was a toxin associated with this in dogs. So who knows, we might find out later on down the line that it does cause toxicity, but we just don't have a lot of cats that are easy eating grapes, luckily. All right, if you have any questions for me, let me know. Thank you guys for listening. And next week, we're going to talk about lily toxicity. All right. Have a great week, you guys. I hope you stay warm and it's snowing here. So everybody stay safe. Thanks. Please remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. This is not meant to be a diagnosis for your pet. If you have questions about diagnostics or about treatment options, please talk to your veterinarian about those things. Remember, we are all practicing veterinary medicine, and medicine is not an exact science. Your veterinarian may have different treatment options. If you like our podcast, please leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you'll be able to hear all the future episodes. Thank you again, and I wish you and your pet well. Well.